0: Welcome to Raising Your Spirits. Our hope is to help you make positive changes by providing guided messages from spirit. Tuning forks, crystals, and distance healing are how we pass those messages from spirit to you. Sit back, relax, and enjoy your vibrational growth with us. Your host for this version of Raising Your Spirits, Tony Ginnis. Welcome, everybody, to another edition. Today, we're going to be talking about ancient ways now, it vibrates to the color of red. So, if you have any red that you've got close to you, whether it be a crystal, it could be a plant, it could be a red fruit, anything like that that has that color and the vibration of red, it's really a root chakra color, uh, but it's all based on uh, tribal togetherness of the earth, connection to the earth, togetherness, community, that, that's all in that red zone, Okay. And this is really what Spirit is saying that is starting to sorely lack in our society. We just seem to be more and more. We feel like we're on our own. We see elderly that aren't, you know, connected to anybody. The whole theme of today is all about renewal. Renewal based on coming back stronger than you ever were. If you are in a position where you feel that there's so many things coming at you, just trying to take you down, There is this fear that, well, what if I fail? What if this doesn't work? And Spirit says it's impossible that it's not going to work, only because we are just like anything on this planet that leaves. In other words, if you take a flower or a certain plant out, when it grows back, we start to see that because of the shallow roots that that plant had before, it has now deeper roots it comes back. We are perennials, believe it or not. We come back stronger than before. Yes, they could take us down for a short time. But when we get that, what we call second wind, when that whole thing drives forward, and this is this red energy, fire energy, red, and it's all about the earth. It's all about bringing in that life, and we're going to bring in life back to what was no life before, or very little life. And uh, this is where we come back even stronger. So that's the whole theme of today, is to how to come back stronger than we ever did before. When this came up over the last couple of days, ancient ways, I was always thinking of my parents and grandparents. And I never knew my great-grandparents, but certainly when I talked to uh, and had association with my, my grandmother and grandfather, It was quite a thing because they would give us all kinds of hints and and tips and uh, cooking different ways that they did cooking. And storytelling was a big one. They would talk about what they did in the 20s or, you know, before the First World War sort of thing. And it was was really intriguing to find out what their path was in coming to a country or, or they were in Europe. And they set up in various uh, places and it, it was it was really rough. They said they'd never ate, but they found a way and they went through it. And eventually they started to uh, build a home, build a family, and we were very successful. But there were a lot of times they said that we didn't know what we would do in the next day. But they always found a way. One of the things that I remember my father and my grandfather saying is that if you touch something with your fingers you know j- j- just you just your fingers and you burn yourself okay if you put it on your earlobe it Im- immediately cools off because your earlobe is the coldest part of your body and I never knew that at the time they told me that as a kid and sometimes I'd put my finger in a fire and just the tips of my fingers would go whoa and then I put it on my earlobe And it says, oh my God, does it ever work? (laughs) And it's now amazing because all these ancient ways, I am giving that to my grandson. And so it's all about that. And the indigenous knew this. It was all about passing on the knowledge, the custom, the traditions, and everything that's in your culture over to the younger generation. And then these ancient ways are slowly being lost. We're going to dive into this a little bit to find out a little bit of why this has happened and what can we do about it. But 200 years ago, of course, is very uh, applicable for Canada and the U.S. as it was a young country, vast, vast pieces of land. It's not like in Japan or it's uh, other areas of Europe where, yeah, the, the land was pretty good, but it wasn't unlimited as it was in Canada. I mean, you could pretty much put Europe in one province in this area. We have a big piece of land. And so when that was young, all that we wanted at the time was progress, just to get the country moving, get the country growing. So they put in railways, both north and south, telegraph, and all the other inventions, telephone, and and every other piece of Inventions that we would need to give us a higher standard of living. And the whole idea was to make an advanced society, an industrial society. We went through that in the 20s with the Industrial Revolution and in, in the industrial time, where uh, it was all factories and we were just making things. All of it was had something to do with us to grow to a certain point. But if you look at the ancient ways... I mean, over the last pretty much 100, maybe maybe 125 years, okay, if you go back that forth to the 1900s, there wasn't a lot of inventions at the time. So if you look at the history of humans, it's been 10,000 plus years, if you look at, go back to, and there's always the native or indigenous ways that made the humans, our race at the time, and plants and animals to coexist with each other. That's why it lasted 10,000 years. And it's interesting that just in 125 years, we're already seeing signs that, oh, this is depleting, that's depleting. We're not sure if, if we're going to last another 50 years or 20, 30 years, whatever. And that's only because we're at a point where we're not respecting, not us in personally, but as a race. Because there's so many more people that are just doing whatever they're doing and not having any regard for the planet or sustainability at all. I mean, for us, sustainability is a big word, especially now, you know, when we look at eco-friendly things and we're looking at non-toxic things, this is a new word pretty much. But the indigenous didn't have words like that. It was just fresh. It was natural. That's what all it was. They would grow their own food and have everything themselves so there was no sustainability because everything that they did cultivated the land cultivated the animals and everything had a its own equilibrium everything had its own ecosystem when we look at uh, what we are always doing the spirit says as far back as uh, you know man has been there's always been this up and down wave and this valley, uh, peaks and valleys of growth where the civilization comes in, like let's say the Roman times, and their chief desire is to control a whole vast of people and then go to war and get more land and control those people and so on, only to fall. And it always works out that way that we always seem to go back to the basics. If you look at anything in history, the Roman, uh, the Romans were were one of them, and then there was a, a point there in the uh, 13, 1400s that we were trying to find new lands and so on, and there was all kinds of discoveries of lands, and but it was always to do with what can we get out of the earth, and just take it, not giving any uh, resolve to what will sustain, and then when that falls, it always goes back to the basics. When the indigenous came in, even the last 200 years or 300 years, we were called natives at the time. Now we call them, because it's politically correct, uh, indigenous. But native means the people of the land. It means people that are in that vicinity were looking at their own land and everything has a, a degree of respect. Now, there are some various tribes. I'm just going to name a few of the ancient tribes that looked at land and looked at people and energy in a little bit different way, but all have some commonality. And let's see if we can look at some of them. There's one in South America where they were uh, the ancient tribes uh, there. Their belief is that at their highest self, at, at the highest possible level you can be at, is where you don't Worship God. You do not worship God because that's really what religion has given us, right? It's given us and taught us that to worship this God. However, their belief isn't that. Their belief is when you get to your higher self at your most highest point, you are God. And so is the rest of us. We are all gods on this earth. So we're earth gods in our own right. And it's very individualistic. Our soul actually has our God-like energy in each one of us, and it's all different, but it's still God. It's like just taking a little cup and dipping it into the ocean. You have the ocean in your cup. Right. The amount of it isn't the same as the ocean. It's still the ocean. It's the essence of the ocean, and that's the same thing. If you look at the chemical and the elements of the ocean, H2O, the salt, and all the elements of the ocean, it's in this cup and that's your soul. So their belief was, you are God. And the more that you can connect to this God that's within you, the more that you can give respect and the more of the powers that you'll have for this creative universe. That's their belief. Another belief was, in India, they have the belief that if you have tension and resistance in your body, Somewhere in your body, there's some form of resistance. Or or in your mind, there's resistance. Resistance to venture out. Resistance to try something new. Whatever the resistance is, there's resistance. Their belief is, if you have that resistance in body or mind, then you will never need another enemy for the rest of your life. Because you can do so much damage all by yourself. You slowly and diligently work against yourself and cut down yourself for as long as you live. So you don't need another enemy. Because most of the damage that we cause is an inside job. Because when something is coming at us, like from another person or from something else, we can always defend about that. When we talk about this in different classes, about the aura and about things, about other people you know, sending negative energy to us we can combat that. There's a lot of ways we could combat that. But this is an inside job where you got a baseball bat and you're hitting yourself over the head. And your spirit can't do much about that. There is no aura within an aura. You're not taking hold of who you are. And most people, if you stop them on the street, they have no idea who they are. They're just guessing of who they are. Another one is the the Huron Indigenous. There was a recent article published that I heard from a friend. Their belief is they take care of everybody in their village, no matter, and especially the elderly. The elderly are uh, sacred. uh, They are considered wise. They have the essence of experience. And so anything that needs to get done, they'll ask an elder, It's a wisdom thing. And this is why in those tribes, the elders are still strong and vibrant, and they're doing things, and they're happier because they feel they're of service. They feel that they're worth something. And what is the biggest complaint that we, in our society, elders have? Loneliness. Most of our elders are alone alone. I heard from somebody in our group um, recently that uh, there are several elders that uh, their kids literally live down the street within about a 10-minute walk, and they aren't visited maybe once or twice a year. And, I, and, and I'm and i not saying that's right or that's wrong. I mean, they have their decision for, for doing that, but this is what's happening, and they feel that they're just put in, into this home. There's nothing wrong with the home part of it. However, they're dying of loneliness inside first. And they feel they're not of use. They, they don't want to bother you. They don't want to, because they know you have a busy life. And I get that from my mom too. And she has her own place and I call her every day. And she still, sometimes I'll hear that she's taking heavy things from the grocery store, taking it home, and then she hurts her arm or something. And I said, oh, I could have done that for you, mom. Oh, I, I didn't want to bother you. I, I know you're a busy man, you know. And they don't want to be want you to. They don't want to bother you, but it's our joy to help our family. You know, in some ways, and would, you could gotta let them. But the Huron Indigenous, they are shocked when they hear that our elderly is just in a home that way, or or we're basically on our own. They are shocked. They they just like it's it's just like saying we have two heads. Just like, there's no way because with our society. That's never done, and it's not like helping an old lady across the street. In their society, they help them cross the street and make it sure they get home safe. They walk them right to their door. We don't do that. I'm not saying that that's what we need to do, but it's a different belief, isn't it? The Japanese they have another ancient ways, and I, I'm, I'm going to read you some of the different ways that they have. They have six ways in their society that overcame uncertainty, inactivity, and laziness. I mean, this is one of the biggest culprits for, for doing things, right? I'm not sure what I should do. There's inactivity. I, I don't know what to do. So what do you do? They have six different ways in their culture that they use. One is called ikagi. And this means to discover the purpose of your life before you start. And this is not done when you're 40 or 50. This is done when you're still in your, in your elementary school years. What is your purpose in life? Find something that makes you wake up each day because your purpose fuels you. If you know that what you're doing is so important and it's part of your purpose, then there, there is no laziness. There's no inactivity. And you don't get tired. When was the last time you loved something? Like if you loved cooking, you'll spend like hours in the kitchen. And some people will say, well, I'll I'll just throw a pizza in the oven. What are you doing four or five hours in the kitchen? That's ridiculous, spending that much time on spaghetti sauce. What on earth, right? But to them, it's a joy because they want... That smell throughout the house, say, in this one Italian lady's words, she says, "Every time I cook, I make love to my food." <laughs> so it's that passion. A second is called uh, Kaizen. Kaizen is what they do. They focus on small improvement each day instead of trying to do everything all at once. Now how many times what we do this? We want to do something. We figured, okay, let's just let, let's just get it done. So we, let's say something basic like working out. You haven't worked out for five years, and now we're going to get back into it. You got your running shoes, you got your track pants, and now we're going to run 10k. <laughs> that and that's what we tend to do because we figured we, we're so behind and we really want to get into shape that we hurt ourselves. We do it a little bit. All of this belief is uh, kaizen is to say, well, let's just do one kilometer and see how we feel. And then we do a kilometer and a half. And then you eventually have gradual, small improvements to get to where you want to get to. That also applies to healing. Uh, I was talking to a, a, a healer a while back. And their initial intention when they started getting clients was uh, when a client came in, they had such a vast knowledge and all these tools of how to heal a person. And they want to do it all in one session. And it doesn't work, because there's only so much that a person's energy and aura can withstand before the rest is gone. I mean, if your body can only process, let's say, 100 grams of vitamin C, right? 100 grams of vitamin C, if that's all your body can do, why are you putting in a 1,000? Then 900 is being peed out. That's really what's happening. There's no way it can absorb it. It's got to process it, so it just dumps it out. In that belief, their belief is, let's just do small little improvements. And they use that in martial arts and dancing, and that's why they're so good in so many arts, because they start them off small with small little improvements. And every time they're doing a little improvement, they make a note. Oh yeah, I went a little further, went a little further, went a little further. Okay. The, another one is, it's called ProMado Technique. The ProMado Technique. Work for 25 minutes without distraction. You sit down to a project and you don't get distracted. You turn off your phone, you turn off all your stuff and you work on your project for 25 minutes. Then you take a five minute break. And you time it after five minutes, then you work for another 25 minutes or another five-minute break, and you keep repeating that. Their belief, and this has been proven, is that you get more done in less time, rather than working six hours all at once. Okay, Another one uh, in their culture is called Harahachi, and this is called, don't stuff yourself full of food. Feed until you are 80% full, then stop eating. It'll give you more energy. And then all you can eat, uh, smorgasbord, it's hard to do that when you can go back three times, right? Sometimes it's just boasted that way. But really, they're saying as soon as you feel yourself getting a little bit full, you can stop right there. Even though you can take more, you're again, you're, the process is better. You know, with the 80 20 rule. The 20% of the void, that's where the energy is, because now there's room for the body to have that turn into better energy. Number five is Chokin. Their belief is approach every single task that you want like a beginner, like you've never done it before, that your curiosity and your wonderment is always like you've been doing it for the first time. Everything is wonderment. So if you've been playing golf for years, go to the golf course and be absolutely infatuated about that ball, about how it can hit and just just so curious and you're so present, so involved with the sport, you'll be better at it. But what do most people do? I can't say most because that would be uh, judging, but a lot of people, they'll go there and it's mostly a stress reliever. This is why a lot of the bags and the golf clubs end up in the lake. Because they swing and it goes way off to one side into the, oh, I did this better than that. And they hit it again and they get all frustrated. It's supposed to be an anti-stress game. And yet there's so much pressure in doing this because you're looking at the last time or maybe the best time you ever played golf and you figured every day was going to be like that. Every day is going to be awesome. And it isn't. We can only give our best today. Do your best today because your best will change. My best tomorrow may be half as much as what I'll do today, but it's okay because I did my best. Then there'll be days that'll be double what I did today. Then that will be my best. But don't get so hooked up on the performance of how the day ended. Always stay with the wonderment of whatever it is that you're doing, so that as if you're doing it for the first time. The last one, number six, it's called wabi-sabi. Embrace every imperfection in your life instead of stressing over the little details. It is better to act on something than to wait for perfection to come to you. I guess what they're saying is it's better to be imperfect than a blank piece of paper. Just put something down. Just get something going. And I, I'm a lot like that when I start a project. When I start something, I get right involved with it, and I don't care if it looks sexy or not. I'm sort of the guy who makes the hole. I'm sort of like the bulldozer. I, I get into a project, and I just make the hole. Afterwards, I'll look at it and say, oh, yeah, okay, it's a little bit off. Then I could sort of square it up and make it more in order after. But just get it going, don't be so hooked up with perfection something done is still better than trying to make it perfect. Now, the Asian and Russian belief for a woman, I thought this was amazing. I had to write this down. I'm going to read this to you. This goes back many, many centuries in old scripts. What it says regarding women, the capacity for a woman, for her to feel, is unlimited and infinite. It's so outside the realms of what a man can even understand, mainly because a woman has a womb, which means that she is literally connected to the void. She has the portal into the infinite from which souls come from. There is a connection to that, which means that she has one part of her in death, beyond time and space, always, that men don't They just don't. They don't have that ability. In this profound connection to the infinite, women not only have the potential to create life, but also a deep understanding of the flow of emotions. They are the keepers of secrets and whispers of the cosmos, the bearers of wisdom forged in fires of existence. It's as if, the universe chose them to be the messengers of our time, granting them the gifts of empathy and intuition that transcends mere mortal understanding, a woman's heart, a compass guided by the stars themselves, navigating the complex terrain of human emotion. Where you stand in the awe of a woman's emotional depth, remember that's a testament to her uniqueness and connection to the cosmos. A connection that enriches the tapestry of human experience in ways we can only marvel at. Isn't that amazing? I've never heard that kind of description of a woman. I'm just going to tag on this just for a moment. One of the things that are happening in our society, Spirit is saying, is because in another life, and this doesn't apply to all souls, but in another life where they were a man and they know this importance, they know this connection, they come in as a woman on purpose because they want to feel those emotions, they want to do those things. But because they were always, let's say, many, many lives, they were men, they feel that they should be a man. And this is one of the ideologies and the struggles that uh, many of them are going through, is that they come in as a woman and they figure it it came in wrong. And they didn't. They came in because they knew they were a man in another life but wanted to experience the life uh, end of it and the emotional end of it that men cannot understand as much. Okay? When they feel that they should have been a man, uh, many of of our controlling people that will will tell them that yeah you should have been a man and just to change it and that's the confusion in many of the instances so uh, I don't want to get too much into ideologies but just to show that we come in exactly the way we had to be and if you didn't then ask that question why did I come in as a woman I mean There are so many advantages of being a man, but there's so many advantages of being a woman as well. But each has its own attributes. Each has its own very high benefit, and it's part of how your soul grows, okay? In India, there are millions of gods. There's a god of water, god of plates, god of dishes. There's the uh, god of chairs, god of highways, god of grass, Pretty much everything that is surrounding you, the wind, the air, everything is a God. And the premise for all of this is that everywhere that we are, everywhere that we look, we want to treat people because they are a God as well and things with respect and honor. Because if you know something that is facing you is a form of a God, you should treat it with more respect. But the reality is, that's not what's happening. The reality is that we don't treat people with the highest respect as a race. I mean, yes, there are many people that do, but on the most on, on a lot of different instances, we they don't. They have the selected few that wants to control spirit within people and get them to learn or taught or reprogram them so they are thinking and wanting something else. Rather than spirit, whatever that is, in our own history, it's been discovered that we have forced our indigenous people to live our own way and to get away from their ancient ways, ancient life, and religion was forced upon them. There was a diary that was uh, published. Uh, I, I believe it was in the early nineties. I just connected to this recently, and it, the book is called "The Diary of Jesus Christ," and it's by Bill Kane. And what he does is uh, he goes through the book, and I just give you a paraphrase it. He goes through the book, wondering who was this man that was named Jesus, if this person did exist. And he's not saying that he did or it didn't, or he was not doing that. But he's saying, why is it that so many emperors, so many armies feared this man? That's really the way what it came down to, because he led hundreds of thousands of people. They followed him. And they wondered why. Why on earth would they want to get rid of such a man? And what it boiled down to was this. He had so much love. Even at the end, before he died, he still prayed to God saying, don't hurt these people. They know not what they do. Even then, he still had empathy and he still had love for those people. How do you fake that? How do you make that up? There's no emotions other than love. Love was the biggest thing for this man. And what it boiled down to in the opposite end, where the emperor's was, was love is the enemy. If people have love in their hearts, they can't control you. Think about it. If you have love for your family, love for yourself, love for everything around you, if somebody wanted to change any of that, uh, there's no way. But if the love is not as strong and you're willing to compromise, you're willing to deal a little bit, then those are ways in which compromise can eventually turn into something that you never knew even existed. In this one part of it, it he goes on to say that in the word of the church in that time, and we've already seen uh, some of the church uh, houses where we, we they're finding graves and so on, is that we wanted to beat the Indian out of the child. And as bad as that could be, the whole idea is they wanted them to forget their culture and abandon their ancient ways. Why? Why abandon something old that's been working for thousands and thousands and thousands of years? They wanted to abandon it because, it, again, it can, we can't control people that are connected to something else. They got to be connected to us. So many people are connected to whatever that is told to them and they don't justify it. It doesn't have to make sense. They just hear it and they think that that's it rather than how do they feel. So it's the ancient ways that will always prevail. Another fact that I found about the indigenous is because the plants and animals that were on the brink of extinction over the last even 20 years were saved and kept by the various indigenous groups in this world. The seeds, all the stories, and all the things, that they're, they're still holding that. Even though all the things that, that they have been through, through the decades and decades of treaties that were never honored, they're still willing to help us. And i tell you what, in World War II... They had a real problem at one point because all they could do was uh, telegraph or do the Morse code to the ships and everything of, of when to strike and so on. But in doing that, they knew that the enemy could intercept those messages. So they had to put it in code, right? And any code that they would do, it would, wouldn't take long before the enemy would, it would be able to decode it and now know what they're, what they're doing and then combat it and knew that, when they wanted to strike, and it was always a failure. So what did they do? They went to the indigenous. They went to the Mohawk people and saying, look, we need your help. And this was at a time where they were like nothing. They were on reservations already. They were poorly treated, and they said, we need your help. And they said, absolutely, because it's part of their culture not to judge. Not and they it, There is no forgiveness, because they never judged. We just treated them so poorly, and then all of a sudden they became valuable because now they could put a Mohawk person on one end and one on the other end, and they could speak in their language, and the enemy could never figure it out, what the messages were. So they saved many, many hundreds of thousands of men and women on the battlefield because they couldn't crack the code, and that's because of our indigenous did that. When the war was over, they went back to whatever it is they were doing before. But in each instance, it is all about finding your ancient ways. You know, over the last 30 minutes, I've been sending ascended masters, chiefs, various elders to each one of you, each one that is a bloodline of where you used to be. With some people, they've gone back 200 years, so you have a chief perhaps beside you. Or you have some some other ascended master, or someone that was in your village that used to be in another life, five hundred or a thousand years ago. Each one of you is that will have a different master beside you. In this meditation, I want you to connect to your ancient ways, and it doesn't matter how it comes in. If all of a sudden you get different ways of making, you know, rolls or making buns or. Whatever it is to start that communication with this amazing spirit elder that is beside you, some are from South America, some are from Europe, Asia, some are from Australia, some are from South America, uh, the list just goes on. Some of you actually have more than one. So if you feel like there's like two or more, it's okay, okay? because they all want to be there and be part of this experience for the next 15 minutes. I want you to connect to your bloodline and something that you represent, something sustainable of your past that wants you to continue and pass on these ancient ways to your kids and to those that you love. Okay? I want you to breathe in the color red, this beautiful fire engine red, and, and just have it go through your legs. It's mainly a root chakra color, yes. But I want your whole body to be this red color. And definitely at the soles of your feet where it connects to the ground. All right? It's this tribal, community-based color. It's all about renewal. It's all about coming back as strong as you ever have been, even though that society may have fallen. You might be the perennial that might be responsible for reigniting that culture again. Take a nice deep breath and let's see how that communication goes with you guys. Just let yourself go and whatever comes to you, if you want to jot something down or or make a mental note, whatever it is, anything that you get will be a real benefit here. We'll see you in about 15 minutes. back, try and remember what you saw, what you felt, what you sensed. The indigenous or the ancient warrior or the chief or whoever that was beside you, when you when you felt that, what questions did you ask? Did you get any answers, did you get any messages, even if it was pictures? Anything. In ancient times, anything indigenous is sustainable. Otherwise, it wouldn't have lasted thousands of years. (laughs) Never would have lasted. I hope this was a great connection to your past, because that's exactly what uh, the purpose of this was. Um, Whether you're going to uh, relay your message in voice, as I am, or uh, some people are into music, other people are are doing uh, more indigenous things and connecting people that way, whichever it is, stay with the old ways. I mean they're sometimes made fun of, but it's the old ways that has sustained itself. The old ways never used to call it sustaining yourself. It was just an old way of doing things and it was was sustainable. Now we have to say sustainable because all the other things that we're doing now we have to think we have to be sustainable that already suggests something is that we're not sustainable if we have to say we're sustainable does that make sense if if we say we're sustainable it's like we're not But if we go back to what we used to do, I mean, you don't have to give up all the luxuries. I mean, you could probably still keep your washer and dryer. And some people will think we have to go back to, you know, cleaning clothes on a rock. That's not what Spirit's saying. (laughs) There are things that we could do that are ancient ways, just more modernly done. But we don't have to. If we respect the climate, respect other people, and respect nature... And with that in mind, come up with something, we always will. It's just that it's cheaper to do it another way. Does that make sense? But look at all the money that we're pouring into sustainability. There, you know, The government uh, just spent I don't know how many billions of dollars to get people to use more electric. Yet 30, 40, 50 years ago, I remember very well we wanted to bring electric buses back in. And they destroyed these in the 40s, 40s and 50s. They had electric buses everywhere. In Toronto, there was electric buses. It ran so cheap, it was like 10 cents a day to run a bus. Because of the bus company and the tire company and the fuel company got together and they said, we're going to create a bus. And then they bought the rights to all of the electric buses and they dismantled them and they destroyed them. And now we're thinking, oh, we have to go back to that. <laughs> just Okay. See, it's just uh, because it's just cheaper. It's all about money. And, and who's going to make more money if we do something else? It doesn't mean it's going to be cheaper. It just can, there's more money involved. But, uh, you know, one thing I love about the Cree indigenous is one of their phrases is that it's only when we poison all our lakes and we can't fish. It's only when we can poison our air and we don't have any birds and we only poison our land and the animals can't survive on it is when we realize that we can't eat money. I hope this was helpful, guys. And uh, I hope you can connect to your ancestors in another way. If you can do this at least five to seven times over the next week, it's really going to strengthen your inner heritage you are who you are, and there's a God inside of you that wants to come out. And so let it. Let it come out. You are a God. You are a form of an earth God. It's part of you. If you deny that, then it's, there's not much uh, spirit can do, because part of your soul is God-like energy. So you have to at least say that you're that, and then connect to the God that's in front of you, that's there. I hope this was of value. So love you all, everybody, and we'll see you next week. Okay? Bye now. Thank you, Tony. Bye. 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 Thank you for listening to Raising Your Spirits. If there is a subject you would like to hear in a future podcast or would like to book a session with Tony, reach out to his Facebook group at Janice Shields Natural Healing Center. Or group tuning classes with Tony on his online virtual weekly classes. The YouTube channel is Suzanne and Tony 17. That's Suzanne and Tony, all one word, and the number 17. And the website is lovehigherself.com. Until next time, namaste.